I wanted a, a, a grind that was more authentic to at the output. A good friend of mine worked for GE. It sounded like he spent 70% of his time working on decks designed exclusively for internal meetings and a small percent of his time actually doing something that was going to constructively lead to, to the benefit of his group or his project or his team or whatever. We, I never wanted to do that. I, I would say that I'm I'm really constructively lazy, so I don't like working for the sake of working, and I don't like chasing something that doesn't make sense. So playing the political game wasn't going to be something that I really wanted to do. Not how I wanted to spend my time. So you start your own, you own your own business, you know why you're doing stuff. I think that's the advantage of being someplace where you're connected to the outcome, much more specifically. And uh, I was, I think that was important for both of us. We're going to work. We're going to work really hard. We'd like to be connected to the outcome. So you started a business. My name is Jeff Estes, and my goal is to share the stories of a whole lot of interesting people who started some really cool businesses as I travel the country and the world. These businesses all vary in size and span a wide variety of industries. This is So You Started a Business. On this episode of So You Started a Business, I'm stoked to be talking with Jeff Beer, co-founder of Select, a design firm based in Burlington, Vermont. And so Select has helped major clients across the country with everything from market analysis and brand identity to designing packaging and building custom products. What started with printing shirts to make enough for a ticket out west turned into an awesome business and a really cool story. So let's check it out. You said you grew up in the Bronx. Yes. Did you have exposure to any type of entrepreneurship when you were uh, growing up there? No, but there's just so much going on there. Everything seems kind of possible. I went to private school down there with a bunch of smart kids. And uh, you always thought everything was kind of possible. People were doing stuff. You just saw people doing things. Right. So you just assumed you could do it. Um, and then the difference in, so I'm mid-50s now, 53, but when I grew up, uh, in New York, I had a ton of freedom for whatever reason. So, you know, I was 12 or whatever, and we lived in the Bronx, but I could take the bus to the to Madison Square Garden and see the Rangers and do this with my front, with my buddy, and it was just so much freedom. So you had exposure to, there was a can-do-ness right. about being down there. Coming from the Bronx, what made you choose UVM? Uh, I think at that point... Um, it was crowded and it was a grind and I, I had never been to Vermont before and actually never visited. I was planning on going to school in Chicago, um, which was probably more of a natural fit for what I had grown up with, but I, I think I was looking for a change. And I got up here and just liked it, liked the stuff and uh, I, I went back, worked summers down in New York either doing construction and between junior and senior I worked on Wall Street doing an internship. It just, it was, it just was not my thing. It just wasn't my thing. When you're at UVM, what do you think you were going to end up doing? Uh, not one thought whatsoever. Really? Yeah. No. I think it's different now. You know, I think kids are more focused now. They have a better idea because college is so expensive. That's ridiculous. See, and, and parents, as a parent now, you, you want your kid to be like, all right, what are, you, what are you doing? Yeah, you can't afford not to. Yeah, I went to UVM. I skied three or four days a week. And, you know, it was just a different deal. So... Didn't really think much about it, and you know, I figured I, I was never worried about it, but didn't have any idea what I really wanted to do. Figured out 
over the course of those four years that I didn't want to be in that grinding big company culture that wasn't a good fit for me. So the I could tell just from doing a summer at Bear Stearns and doing some other stuff that there there was a uh, a grind that was a different kind of grind that I wanted. I didn't mind grinding through work, and I kind of liked that. But I didn't want to grind through the social part of it. I didn't want to grind through the the ladder climbing and the the political part. And that felt like just in a, in a short glimpse of that summer that okay, if you're going to succeed here, you got to play the whole game. And I wasn't sure I wanted to play that whole game. So and I didn't like the commute. The subway sucked. <laughs> New York was gritty back then. It smelled terrible. I was, I was living in the Bronx. I was living at home. I was taking the one train all the way from 246th Street or 242nd Street to one Broadway, which is the last stop on Manhattan. Jeez. And in fact, the subways were rough then, and it was not air conditioned. It was just it was not good. <laughs> New York's a good place to be if you have some scratch, and if you don't, it's a, it's a different city. That's so, brutal. Yeah. And so when did you was, meet Kevin Owens? So my Kevin's my partner. He was the first kid I met at UVM, literally. Uh, he was in the room next to me. Um, when I showed up, so I came up here, I didn't know a soul. So Kevin showed up in the room next to me and I was dribbling a basketball and I was like, hey, you want to go shoot? I didn't know anybody. <laughs> and so did you get along immediately? Yeah, we got along right away and, uh, you know, we're friends all the way through. He had a different path through school than I did. He, he bounced around a little bit at UVM. Okay. <laughs> he, he was less serious than me freshman year. <laughs> and then, uh, he, he, he got figured out what he was going to do at school and then we ended up graduating and then uh, a group of us went to Europe together after UVM trying to figure it out. One dude had a job in Boston. He was working at some investment bank and he left and another guy happened to own a bar here so he had to get back and then uh, there was three of us who didn't have anything to do um, and we were just trying to sort it out and uh, at that point Kevin and I kind of figured he had done some, he had worked in Boston at a, at a bank, investment bank he wasn't really up for that. And we thought we could make a run at some kind of business. So we figured, well, we'll just give it a shot in Burlington and see how it goes for a while. And so what was the first project you worked on with Kevin? We were actually, we tried to start another business. And it was uh, Northeast Video Advertising. Okay. And when was this? When was the timeline? We probably, I think uh, Kevin, I was doing some construction. Kevin was working at a ski shop. and we, So we graduated, say, May of 87. And so that fall, we started to come up with an idea of like, hey, we could do this. Back in those days, when you rented a uh, movie, you'd go to like, this was pre-Blockbuster, so you'd go to a local video store, and there were these mom-and-pop video stores all over the country. So we thought it would be a good idea if you, when you rented your video, there was a coupon on the box, it's VHS, VHS tape box. You don't even know what I'm talking about. No, I have no idea, Shark. All right, so this is, <laughs> you rented the tape, and it came in a box, and we were like, well, it would be great if you could put a Domino's ad on it. Or Pepsi. So when you rent your movie, you could you get a coupon for Domino's, and you can call and get a pizza delivered or whatever. Well, okay, was. I'm with you. It was actually a really good idea, and we a friend of ours who's kind of our mentor, who was at that point uh, the president of General Cinemas, which is one of the bigger companies in the country at that point, all the movie theaters, and they were probably the one of the biggest Pepsi distributors, I think, in the country. Um, and he, his daughter went to UVM with us, and we were friendly with him. And he he was the guy we kind of looked up to for stuff. He took us under his wing for whatever insane reason right um, and he thought it was actually a good idea too so he hooked us up with people there at General Cinemas and we were talking about doing it all and and we kind of thought we could make this go and then uh, we even talked to some video store people and they were psyched 
then the question, they were like, okay, well, how often are you going to change up the ads? And we were like, ah, what do you mean? <laughs> so you're going to change the ads? And like, or, or we thought you would do that. They're like, no. So then we're like, oh, shit. So that's, you know, you're going to make a couple pennies on every ad, on every box. So you need to be on millions of... You need to be everywhere. You got to be on all of them. Yeah. And there was two of us. And we, we realized, okay, well, if we do the math, so if we... If we have to change them all ourselves, we'd probably get one ad on every box and then we'll be 50. <laughs> so uh, that was the end of Northeast Video Advertising. Jeez. Yeah, ended quickly. We were sort of smart enough to end it before we got too deep into it. Right. But it was it was a great idea. And people, there was, an, there, even the advertisers were like, they'd be like, yeah, we'll get on a box. Because we had reached out to some people and they're like, yeah, we could do that. And then we realized that if you can't execute, then you're, you're sort of stuck. Probably started in the fall okay. uh, of 87, and then uh, realized that that wasn't going to work, probably in the early, end of the winter in All Vermont, right. which is a dark, normally time to have nothing to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so what was, what was next? Uh, what was the next step, next project? Unknown. We, were, we wanted to get out west to go skiing, so we were going to raise some money, so we printed some t-shirts to sell at an event, the NCAAs. March of 88, we're held at Middlebury College, the Middlebury Snowball. So NCA back then was a much different beast. Uh, licensing was really different. So, you know, NCA skiing was, you could just show up and do anything. So we were bootlegging shirts basically at this event, literally to make money to go out to Aspen because, you know, a lot of UVM kids end up out west. And so we had a bunch of friends out there and this was our ticket. Uh, and we started the process and, you know, it was a nightmare getting shirts printed. It was kind of a Grateful Deady scene back then for screen printers. So a lot of people printing in their garage. Not a lot of organization, and it it was just a nightmare getting 300 shirts made. All different labels in the shirts, brands, the printing stunk. It was just a mess. So we went, we ended up selling out all our shirts on the second day. Didn't sell a shirt the first day. It was like four below, classic Vermont winter day. Yep. Second day, we're like, oh man, I don't know how this is going to go. It's all our money in these stupid shirts. And... Uh, no Race. confidence. Zero confidence. We didn't even want to go back. <laughs> we had to drag ourselves back there. And then uh, all of a sudden, some little kid comes down. And he's like, hey, you guys have those shirts? And then all of a sudden, more people came. And it turns out it's after the, the event was ending and all the skiers, everybody was kind of milling about at that point. And then we sold all our shirts in like 15 minutes. It was unbelievable. And, you know, at that point, a lot of cash. We probably made four or five grand. Right. It seemed like a ton of money. And uh, got to Aspen. So the plan didn't change. You sold them and it was, there were I means to sold them and then afterwards we're like, you know what, there's something there. You know, maybe we should just try it. Let's do some more. So we printed some shirts, got out there, printed some shirts for the head of the Charles Regatta that fall, did the reggae fest in Burlington. So we were just bootlegging shirts for a little while. It was going great. And the bootlegging thing, thank God, didn't work out. We actually, head of Charles, uh, we had an awesome graphic design because we had, I think we had good taste. Neither of us have any talent, but we had pretty good taste. And back then, like bars and restaurants had good stuff, but if you went to a resort, you basically they had a bunch of transfers on the wall and blank shirts. You'd pick out the graphic you wanted, and you pick out your shirt, and they put it on. And it was pretty basic. And then on the company side, brand wasn't really a thing. There was no brand, so if you worked at Price Waterhouse, you had a PWC emblem on your shirt, like you were buying a shirt from LLB with your embroidered logo on the side. Uh, but the, and we went to the head of Charles, and, and it was it was all going to be great until the cops were like, "Hey, what's in your bag?" <laughs> we're like, "What do you mean, what's in the bag?" And uh, he's like, "Put the bag in the trunk." 
And that was that. Jeez. 45 minutes in. Were you thinking that's the end? Uh, it was the end of bootlegging shirts, for sure. Um, but at that point, did you have enough momentum that you thought... Uh, we felt like there was something there. Okay. And um, we felt like, okay, this there's not that many people that are good at, at making stuff. And we bounced around at that point. We tried a bunch of different people to get our shirts made, and there just weren't that many good businesses. And we, we kind of thought that if getting a t-shirt was as easy as going to see your accountant or your broker or anybody else, there would be a business there. And so we kind of approach it that way. We approach it as a business and not as a hobby or not so that we can make money to follow the debt or whatever the hell people are doing. And, uh, and we just started small. We, there was a guy who we knew who was screen printing shirts, um, resort wear. So if you went to Stowe and it's bought a Stowe pair of sweatpants, this guy was making stuff up in Cambridge, Vermont, which is about 40 minutes from Burlington. So we did went up there and made a deal with him um, to use his equipment at night. So we paid him like on a per shirt basis to use his equipment. But it turns out, he didn't know, we didn't know, but we were getting hosed. It was a horrible deal. <laughs> but we had, we had access to his space. We didn't have any money, so all we had to do was pay if we used it. Um, so we would sell stuff during the day out of our, basically our apartment, and then go up there and print it at night. And we started off, I'd go to bars in New York that I had gone to when I was growing up, and Kevin would call on people in Boston, and the first big order we got, there was a bar on like 93rd and third called the Outback, something like that. Okay. And I went in and he ordered a thousand shirts. We're like, oh, this is so good. And so we, that was our first real order. Were you calling people? Is that Just how you were? cold calling. It was the back, this is almost pre, it was definitely pre-internet. That I think was pre-email. Jeez. This was old school, writing letters, <laughs> making phone calls, uh, just showing up. So you, you know, you throw stuff in the car and just start driving, go and see people. Like total old school selling. Jeez, that's a grind. We had an easier time breaking in outside of Vermont because uh, in Vermont, it was kind of, kind of clicky. New England can be a kind of a clicky place. Um, and we had a really hard time in Boston. New York was much easier. So people do deals in New York, they don't really care. And I never said I own the business or anything else. So our first huge thing, great. So we bought some equipment up here. Um, got a small space with one like six color manual printer and a dryer and and hired a designer as our as a first person we hired and then our first break I went into the New York Roadrunners Club which is still exists and they used to they do still put on the New York City Marathon and uh, just hit it off with a woman there they were holding the expo at that time at Columbus Circle with, um, and that's where they did their expo before the race and they sold all kinds of merch and we got in there with a couple t-shirts and then once you say you can, you're doing stuff in New York City Marathon then you can go someplace else yeah. and it kind of started rolling a little bit right. and we, we were just printing t-shirts at that point and then we, we would use the word I don't know if we used the word brand but we, we, we did say that it's not just a shirt it's, it's a statement about who you are as a company and you're putting your name on it and it should be representative of what you believe in and so when did you become select design? I think we we uh, literally were shooting hoops trying to come up with a name and we just write them down, write them down and just ended up on select. So we call ourselves select now. We select. were select design then. And we're technically still select design, but we became that kind of right away. So maybe January of 89, we were officially up and running. So at this time, so you're, you're calling people in New York, you're calling people in Boston. Why stay in Burlington? Uh, well, it was an inexpensive place to live. We kind of had a little bit of network here. We had made some friends here who kind of, you know, you have a support network. So there were some people here who we'd met 
on the business side who just you know seemed like they wanted to see us succeed. Karma's huge, and you have to have people rooting for you. So it was an easy place to start, and then we could travel easily. My family was in New York, and Kevin's family was in Boston, so we we could be on the road a lot. Right. Were you intimidated at all? Not really. Starting select? No. No. Never really thought about it that much. My dad was really supportive, just in terms of like uh, no expectation of. He wasn't like, hey, you should be doing something different, or. But he was super cool, and I think in looking back, he was a guy that I think was constantly, and he worked for years and years, but I don't think he ever loved working. And I think so. He, I think at some level, he respected the the chance to try and go do your own thing, which was great. So that that was good. And then I knew a bunch of kids. Like I grew up in New York City, so I was never I was never worried about walking in someplace. One of my best friend, one of my best friends still today, was working at Goldman Sachs, and they became a big client at the time. And it was, it just didn't happen. Did you feel any type of way about that? Like seeing your buddy at Goldman Sachs? Uh, I knew I didn't want to do that. Um, and I, you kinda, I just kind of stayed in the thing. I like It was such a, we had made the commitment. We had borrowed some money to buy equipment at that point. And it was, there wasn't an option to think about other stuff. I was in and it was, that's what I got to do. Just put your head down and do it. And, and then if you're competitive, you just kind of keep grinding and keep grinding. And it was just about like wins at that point. Just find some wins. And then you just start rolling, and the next thing you know, you're kind of in it. And then we got a couple of years in, and then, I mean, the first couple of years were really, really hard. We got to a point, probably on our second, third year, like, okay, you know what? Let's just sell this thing and get out of here. And my, I was planning to move. My girlfriend was not here. The prospect, my prospects were not terrific at that point, I don't think. So I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was this phenomenal catch. So uh, we went to see a business broker. Uh, and did a valuation, and we were all fired up. We thought we had a good business, and we realized that the business was worth significantly less than we owed still Jeez. at the time. So we was like, all right, well, let's stick with it for a while. And then, you know, then it just started rolling, and we got our first big deal in Vermont. We bid on this thing. Uh, it's like Vermont Country Cyclers, which was a big tour company at the time. And we didn't get the deal at the end. A week later, we read, were reading the Burlington Free Press, the local paper, the guy who owned company we lost the deal to got arrested because he was selling uh, drugs or whatever the hell he was doing and so we get a call and they're like hey listen we need you guys to do this deal and we're like yes <laughs> but totally random right it's like that's not in any business plan no we just... didn't we didn't set the guy up with drugs in his trunk of his car. right <laughs> <laughs> he took that on himself but there's always stuff like that and i was talking to somebody the other day it's uh we just we just showed up and that was the advice we got from um, Paul Del Rossi, who was at General Sinners, was right at the very beginning. He's like, it's not the most talented guys. It's just the ones who show up every day. Just show up every day and work. And you, you got a fighting chance. If you're competitive and you're intelligent, then at least you got a fighting chance. And so that's kind of what we've done. And we still do that today, which is a little old school. So was there a turning point? Uh, there's, always, there's a couple. The first one was right after we, we decided not to sell a guy... Came, oh, from a competitor of ours, was working for a competitor, wanted to move to Vermont. He came up and he was intrigued by Select and wanted to work at Select. And that was kind of the first sign that, you know, maybe there's something here because it's not just us that believes there's this other person. He was pretty talented, um, creatively talented, but could also sell. So he kind of filled a, a good niche for us. And uh, I think at that point, that was the first sign, okay, we can do something with this. Uh, and then, you know, we bought this building at one point 
2000 was big and we didn't need it, but we got a really good deal on the building was a piece of shit. Um, but you know, we had 12 people at that point. We didn't need this. It was a chocolate milk factory. It was a chocolate factory originally yeah. in 1920. And then they were doing broomsticks or something else. And the Lonskis was here when we bought it. Okay. Same deal though. We got really lucky. They, we made them an offer, which was low. They didn't want any part of it. But the guy who was running Elon skis in the U.S. got, got into some trouble. Driving his babysitter home, he was hammered. Jeez. So their fortunes turned a little bit, and they needed change. So we ended up getting the building. <laughs> We've been really benefited from people making horrible decisions. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just sitting around waiting for the next one. Right. <laughs> uh, so we ended up getting this building, and that was kind of a huge turning point because it, it created a, uh, a level of... Just, it, it increases your level of confidence because you're like, okay, we can do something here. And then we have to. And you put something out there for yourself and you got to go chase it down. But then in terms of recruiting people, it's not, you know, this tiny little business anymore. It's okay, there's just something here. So we were able to get better talent. For sure. Yeah. And so like you said, you and Kevin both had good tastes, not necessarily skilled designers in the yeah. beginning. So how did that change? How did you evolve to become what you needed uh, well, to Neither be? one of us can design still to this day. Um, we've recognized early on what we're not good at. So, yeah, we, we are under no illusion of what we are or aren't. So we know, we know what we need to surround ourselves with. And we've always needed really creative, talented designers around us. Um, we can be, help be a part of that process because we can communicate around it. Um, it's Kevin more so than, than me, but we both have a sense. And that's been an important part of Select. Sort of the soul of Select is, is our creative drive and enthusiasm. I've met so many people that want to start a business yeah. or talk like they want to start a business, yeah. but they don't jump. You know, they don't start selling 300 t-shirts yeah. to go to a ski competition. Well, I think I probably, had I been further along, I might not have done it. So when you're 20, I, was, I graduated at 21, so I was 22 when we started. I didn't have anything anyway, so I didn't have that much to lose. Didn't feel like maybe a couple of years. But then I figured out, well, if it doesn't work, I'll go do something else. And we didn't borrow that much money. We could have worked it out. At that point, it seemed reasonably risk-free to start because it was starting from zero. Well, I wasn't going to get worse off. Right. And I think that's a big holdup for a lot of people. There is, you know, you're, you are not going to get paid for a while. Unless you start in a really, really well-funded situation, you just don't get paid for a while. And I don't care what business it is. It's really hard to be profitable early. And uh, we started with very little money, and so we had to make our money. And I think that's probably the case for most people who are going to start a business. they got to find it. And so if you're going to get funded by some big venture group in Silicon Valley and you have a phenomenal idea that they believe in and they're going to kick you off with $15 million or $150 million, that's different. For us, you know, I, was, I had nothing going on. I could work all day and wait tables all night. It didn't matter. Or work on the weekends at a Kevin worked on a ski shop on the weekends. So you could find a way to piece it together because you didn't have other responsibilities. But you're not doing that if you got a kid who's got a soccer game. What would be your biggest piece of advice to someone starting their own business? I think uh, it's, it is, first of all, you've got to grind. It's not, it, it is not going to come easy. And then you, you've got to decide what, you're, how, what you want at the end of the day. And uh, I'd be, I'd be, Leery of just partnering up with whoever comes along or partnerships are, are hard. Um, investors are challenging. 
And I think you just got to decide how much control and what you're trying to do. And is, is your plan to build the biggest possible business, fastest growing thing you can build in five years and get out? Then, then that's one thing. And you can, you can partner up with different people for that. Um, if you want to build a sustainable business, you are sort of marrying the person or people you're going into business with. So that's probably the biggest thing because that um, personnel and relationships, for the most part, are the most challenging over the course of time. You know, deals come and go and, and you know, it can be stressful working through a deal and, you know, the wins and losses are a lot, but it's the people stuff that that keeps you up at night. And so the more you can maintain um, the relationships in the manner you want them and, and work through relationships with people you want to work through relationships with, you're better off because if you if you're not, it just sucks. And, and even for us, we we walked from a client not that long ago, and it wasn't the the work; it was you know, we just didn't fit with the people. And at the end of the day, it's just Kevin and I. We don't have investors. It's probably the whole business. We do what we want, and that was what was causing the stress. It was the it was the relationship more so than the work. And so you know, you basically you're you're going to do something fairly ambitious with somebody stuff comes up so you do that with somebody you want to do it with and, who, and you think you can sort that stuff out with thanks again to jeff beer and a big shout out to this team at select that quote from jeff's mentor is just so cool to think about sometimes it's just about showing up every day it's like you don't have to be the most talented or the most creative but if you show up every day and you think things through consistency goes a long way it's like getting better at anything. You know, it's like if you start to go in the gym for the first time, it sucks in the beginning and you're sore immediately. But if you stop and you just stop showing up, you're just going to stay at that level of suck forever. And you're never going to get better. So sometimes it's just about showing up and just trying. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And definitely stay tuned for next Monday's episode which is the last of season one.